Hi, this is Ann Doherty, and today on Current, uh, Alum's podcast, we're going to be talking with my business partners, Eric and Zemius, as we focus on small businesses and small business um, customers in preparation for our upcoming webinar. One of the questions uh, we're going to be asking in conversation with Sarah is where do we go from here and also how might we build better? And um, we are excited to have this conversation in advance of talking to five entrepreneurs from the Tucson metro area who will be taking part in a virtual focus group later this week to share their experiences as business owners and really help us as an industry try to understand the mindset of small businesses. Um, but before that, um, we're going to talk a bit to Sarah about some of the things that we've been learning and thinking about as small businesses ourselves. All right. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us on the podcast again today. Hey, Anne. It's great to be with you today. <laughs> it's great to hear from you in this formal format. It's been a long time <laughs> since we've talked. Um, so before we jump into today's episode, um, I feel like we just need to take a moment and reflect on what a different time it is than when we did our last podcast back in January. You know, at that time, we were kind of watching COVID-19 as it emerged in China, but really had no idea the extent to which it would impact the world, um, let alone the U.S. and the economy. Absolutely. That seems like ages ago at this point. And, you know, the, the outbreak of COVID has really changed my focus a lot. I've been spending a lot of time participating in SBA webinars and other economic town halls and really have been trying to get through it because there is no playbook for this. And as small business owners like we are, you know, I, I, we can appreciate just how difficult this is for business owners everywhere. And, you know, I've been really grateful that we get to lead a team um, that's doing research at a time when it's so important for our clients to understand, you know, what's going on with their customers and in particular, their small business customers. It's created a real sense of empathy for me um, in terms of, you know, what it's like for the types of customers we're often talking to in our work and created a real connection there. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely true. I completely agree. You know, uh, this is a central question that uh, a lot of our clients are facing, as you mentioned, and, you know, this group of businesses, small businesses that comprise the majority of the U.S. workforce are also the least understood by our clients and in some ways the hardest to reach. Um, as we think about um, their role in the economy, uh, we really uh, wanted to step back from our communications that we've been having over the last couple of weeks that have been really focused on our industry and how we, in a way, help ourselves through this moment and turn our attention more towards questions about how we help them, how we help other small businesses, uh, both tapping into that empathy that we feel small businesses ourselves, but also giving them the opportunity to talk about their own experiences and also allow our clients to listen to those experiences. Yeah, it feels like a lot of the talk is about small businesses right now, but there's not a lot of talk happening with small businesses. You know, when I watch the news, you, you just hear sort of the blasting of information about SBA funds or money running out or small businesses are struggling, but we don't really get to hear from the small businesses themselves. And so 
I'd love to start our conversation by um, talking to you, asking you where you got the idea to host a, a virtual focus group with small businesses. Where did that idea come from? You know, um, it's a great question and it actually started with a conversation with a friend. And so just before Tucson issued a shelter in place order for the city um, that, you know, predated our state by a couple weeks, I went to go visit a friend who is a hairstylist and salon owner and went in for a quick cut. And we all kind of knew this was coming. Um, and, you know, we have the benefit of working in, uh, as a small business in an area that doesn't require direct contact with customers, right? We um, can do our, do our work remotely. We can conduct our research remotely. We aren't required to interact with people one-on-one. -on -one. And my friend is in the opposite boat. Her business is entirely based on her ability to um, engage with, with people directly and in some of the most intimate ways possible, you know, cutting their hair. And, um, you know, she was, she was devastated and she's not sure that her business will be able to survive. She was on an upswing before this happened and her business was growing and thriving. And uh, she ultimately had to close her doors and let go of all of her employees in order for her employees to access benefits that without um, providing services, she could not provide them, right? Mm -hmm. And that really got me thinking that um, that this, this uh, virus could be so incredibly devastating to so many businesses. And we don't really talk to these businesses. If you're not a business owner, if you're not engaged with other business owners or have people in your immediate social network who run and own small businesses, you wouldn't understand those perspectives. You wouldn't have access to that that feeling, that fear, and um, and I felt like others could benefit from these stories and from understanding what they're going through as a way of thinking about how to help. And so then I thought, well, what do we do best at a live? Well, we are we're researchers, right? Mm -hmm. We know how to facilitate a conversation. So holding a focus group felt like an obvious uh, solution to provide that benefit to our our clients. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's interesting that you bring up your friend who had a, a salon because that was one of the first people in my circle of women I know who own businesses that I thought of as well. You know, restaurants are definitely struggling. We're hearing a lot about that. And it's certainly hard times for them. But many of them are able to stay open, do carry out, maintain some level of business. But there's no way for businesses like hair salons and um, you know, the like to, to continue doing anything in this time. And it's, it's funny you say that was kind of where the, the real, um, you know, recognition of the worry and the magnitude of this kicked in for you because it was the exact same uh, person for me on my end. The person who I yeah. go to, I went to high school with her. She's someone I've cared about for a really long time. And same thing, growing business, doing really well. And to face this complete shutdown, you really start to, to think about, you know, what, what this means for a lot of small businesses out there who aren't, who, whose voices I don't think are getting heard in the same way as some other industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things that, uh, you know, really dawned on me too, in talking to her is how many businesses are month to month, they're sort of the mm -hmm. business equivalent of paycheck to paycheck that 
many of their margins aren't great enough to support staff or support, um, you know, running their businesses for a month, you know, without revenue, let alone two, three, four months. And I know you've been doing a lot of work um, for the Illum team in thinking about different types of economic relief that we might um, be able to take advantage of. And I'd be curious to hear a little more about what you've learned and, and what you've been thinking about as you've been learning more about these various relief and stimulus packages. Sure. It's a, it's a great question and it's a big question. And, you know, I, I've, I, I could go so many different directions in terms of what I've learned and, and what this has been like going through it. So as I mentioned earlier, is, you know, I sat in on every webinar I was invited to that um, I could, could make it to, to kind of try to understand what was going on with the different um, stimulus packages that were being offered. You know, as soon as the acts were passed, I was reading the language as it was written in the acts to try to understand what was going on. Um, so I was really actively engaged from the very get-go in tracking it and trying to follow what was going on. And the interesting th thing to me was I, I thought, you know, I should reach out to other small business owners that I know and just make sure they're aware of this. And this was, you know, certainly in the first few days after the acts were passed and there wasn't a, a lot of conversation on it yet. But I was really surprised that most of the, the people I reached out to didn't know about it. It wasn't on their radar yet. They were just, you know, trying to get, get by day to day. And, you know, I think the word definitely spread and certainly people became well aware of the programs that were there for small businesses. You know, there was the payroll protection program, which ran out of funding last week. I think it was 340 million dollars and they're looking at ways to, you know, add more funds to that. There's also the, the um, there's an economic a disaster recovery loan that people can apply for as well. You know, they have very different terms and conditions. Um, there's a lot, I think, for small businesses to weigh in terms of whether they take, you know, the, one, the disaster recovery loan, whether they pursue something like the payroll protection program, um, whether they just opt to try to maximize tax benefits. And I think the thing I learned is that there's a lot being talked about. So if you're, if you're not in the weeds of it, you might sit back and think, well, as a small business owner right now, you can apply for a payroll protection program, you can get a disaster recovery loan, and you're going to get all these tax benefits. But I think what most people don't realize is it's not an all situation, it's an either or situation. And you still have to have cash on hand to float you, you know, through a period of time. So if, if someone's opting to use um, tax relief as a way to try to carry their business through, you know, that's relief on, on payroll tax. That's incremental amounts each month that you, you pay your payroll tax. And you have to pay that all back in 2021 and the other half in 2022. Um, you know, if you're looking at an economic recovery disaster loan. It has a much longer term that people can pay that back, but you can't do that and maybe apply for the payroll protection program. So there's a lot of caveats around it. And it, it's really forcing small business owners who are often focused on the day-to-day -day of running their business. They're not accountants. They're not, you know, tax, well, some of them are, I guess they're, that's their small business. But generally your average small business owner is not, you know, um, 
they're worried about running their business. They're experts in their business. They're not experts in these things. And I've really learned that that um, has been difficult for people. You know, it's difficult to understand what's available to you. It's difficult to make decisions about what your best options are. And then it's difficult to go through the process of applying. And while all this is going on, you're still faced with the situation where you may be a business owner who has no revenue. So, you know, it, it, I, I think it's really um, the, the complication of this is underrepresented. I, I, I don't think people recognize how hard it could be for a business owner without a lot of resources to navigate through all of this. You know, Illum, we're lucky we have great tax accountants. We have, you know, um, a great relationship with our bank. All those people provided us a lot of information about the options that were available out there. But a lot of small business owners I talked to had had none of those resources made available to them. So, you know, I, I've, I've learned that it's complicated. I've learned that as much as it sounds like everybody should be aware and you just put in an application and it's easy, it's not. I've learned, as you said, many small businesses don't have, they're sort of living business paycheck to paycheck. And so the, the time it can take to realize the benefits of some of these programs is, is just going to be too long. Um, you know, and I've realized that people are, they're, they're dealing with so many different things coming at them that it, it, it can feel really overwhelming to try to understand what is the best choice to make as a small business owner right now. That was a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's so much. No, but it, there is so much. And with you, as I was reading the terms and conditions and thinking about how this, how these various policies and relief yeah. funds are structured, I thought, how in the world could a business that is not as well positioned as ours, for example, survive this? Because right. uh, there's this underlying assumption that the doors will all just open and there will be this rush of business that, you know, looks exactly like it did before you, um, you took out these loans, right? Yeah, and exactly. we all know that that's not true. Yeah, it's, it's not true. Yeah. And people have, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of talk of forgiveness of the loans, but only portions of what you get can be forgiven. Um, that, you know, payments begin in November for parts that you can't get forgiven. There's no real clear guidance on how businesses are supposed to track what can be forgiven versus what can't. Um, even the banks are saying like, we don't, we don't have the, the workbook yet. We're just gonna kind of give you guidance as we go. Um, so there's a lot of ambiguity in it. And there's a lot, you know, in the legislate in the act itself, when you read it, that could really be left open to interpretation. So on top of, you know, just navigating the process, it can feel really scary to commit to taking the funds when there's a level of uncertainty around um, the, the guidelines, the rules, what you can use the money for, what you can't. And I think, you know, it makes you feel a little scared as a small business owner to, commit <laughs> to taking on that type of potential debt. And, and yeah. we're in a place where sort of what is real and what isn't changes daily. Uh, we, we don't always get straight or clear answers on things. So it can make it really hard to commit to taking those dollars and feeling like a week from now or two weeks from now that what is being said you know, today will be the same as what's being said in the future in terms of, of forgivability or, or even how those dollars can be used. Yeah, I, I mean, it's insane to think about 
being asked to take a loan of, of any variety, really, and and to receive that, like have someone hand you money and say, but I will tell you at a later date yeah. <laughs> the terms and conditions of this loan. It's like, just you know, trust me, um, it'll be fine. Just trust me. Right, <laughs> right. And you know, debt is debt, you know, and this is the thing that I, you know, I often come back to is it's, you know, debt is still money you don't have right now. Right, right. And so uh, the forgiveness portion is so important for, for these businesses. And, you know, if we think about um, small business, you know, our, our webinar that's coming up on Wednesday is going to focus entirely on uh, small businesses that are not in our sector with the goal of providing um, both our utility clients as well as those who are running programs, program implementers, a little insight into how to better serve small businesses in this moment. Um, it is worth kind of stepping back and talking about our industry because there have been huge impacts on a number of organizations within our industry that uh, rely mm -hmm. on providing and delivering programs that uh, require face-to-face -face engagement. So direct installs, any on-site work, um, you know, any number of things. Most um, contractors who are delivering rebates, much of that is on hold. So, um, you know, from your perspective, you've been talking to a lot of uh, folks in implementation. What's happening with them? Yeah, it, it, a lot. <laughs> I keep saying that, but it, you know, it does vary. Um, but you're right. The, the implementers who have been heavily involved in, in field work um, are struggling. And it, as, as we all know, a lot of the utility programs have put anything that involves going into customers' home or businesses on hold. Um, and so a lot of the, the team members who are doing that type of field work have been directly impacted by what's going on. We've had um, implementers who've had to lay off uh, large numbers of their team or, or furlough them in some way while the, the restrictions on going into homes is going on. Um, and that it's, it's not been a small number of people. So there are implementers that are really being affected by this, this you know, again, especially as you said, direct install, um, implementers with engineers who've been going into businesses and doing work. I think about small business direct install programs, multifamily direct install programs, home retrofit programs. So the other piece of this is, yeah, implementers are being affected. Um, the hope is that when we come out on the other side of this, that, that those programs will pick up again and the implementation uh, companies will be able to bring those folks back on and get back out in the field. So in some ways, it seems to a lot of people that these are sort of temporary. But the, the other challenge is really around the contractors who often work with implementers or for the utilities on different types of direct install or retrofit type programs. And these are the, the, you know, the small business owners, the HVAC company, the insulation company, you know, the, the people who've, who've created small businesses around serving customers via these different utility programs. And it, that's, the, that's the group that I feel particularly worried about because again, they're often very small businesses. They're not, you know, part of a really large implementation firm that, you know, has other work, other business that can help carry things through. These are mom and pop shops, often um, very small businesses, and have seen their their stream of work completely shut down as a result of this. 
And, you know, again, given the complications of getting stimulus funds, of getting aid dollars, um, the unknown about how long it will be before people will feel really comfortable letting someone they don't know in their home to do work. Um, I, I think that, you know, not, I don't think, I know, I've heard, it is a real struggle for those contractors and they're very worried about their ability to survive this and come out on the other side. So while there are parts of our industry where there have been layoffs that I see, you know, once programs pick up again, those, those people may be able to get back out in the field, get back on the job. There are other parts of our industry, and in particular that small contractor part, that I worry about how well they'll be able to survive this, especially as it goes on longer, and especially as we start to understand how are we changing as a society around how comfortable are we going to be, again, you know, letting people in our homes and, and, and you know, maybe doing the type of work that a lot of these contractors are doing, when, especially when it's not emergency replacement situations. And um, there's no good answer there, unfortunately. It's, uh, we have a lot of small businesses that this, in, this industry is heavily dependent on that are struggling right now. And um, it's, it's, we're just going to have to kind of see what comes out of this. We have, there are utilities who are talking about ways to try to support these contractors. You know, let's get work in the pipeline so it's ready when we come out on the other end, which is a great idea. Just got to make sure those businesses are there on the other end to jump in and do the work. I think that's the tricky piece. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, you know, as we're talking about it and framing it, we're thinking about it in terms of the restrictions of the pandemic itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we haven't even touched on the economic impacts of a country in recession and what that right. does to the industry as well, right? And that's, yeah. that's a whole other webinar <laughs> discussion, which, you know, we will get to. I think many of us are focused entirely on um, our COVID response because in some ways that feels more immediate and easier to tackle than thinking about the, the global recession that we're yeah. all facing and need to work through. Um, you know, as we're stepping back from this again and thinking about our industry, um, we'd love to kind of talk about opportunities. Are there silver linings here? Are there ways that our utility clients or even those that are implementing might be able to support and serve um, their customers in new ways mm -hmm. that, um, that weren't here or that we weren't thinking about as much um, pre-COVID? 19. Um, what do you think? Are there any silver linings? Um, I, I like to believe there's always a silver lining. Um, I, you know, I do think that it, it does create, so see the utility sort of this, they're stalwart, right? They're like, they're there. They're always there. There's this thing that's steady and stable that is kind of always there for the customer. And there's an opportunity to sort of leverage that um, quietly being there for you sort of um, place that utilities hold in many parts of the country. I mean, different, certainly by different parts of the country and, you know, what's been going on. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, I'm trying to think it's who, who I says it annual remind me that my, the, you know, customers often say that they don't like their utility, but they trust them. Yeah. And at this moment in time, you know, trust is something I, I think people are 
um, feeling a lack of and they're going to look to those entities that they do have that trust in and that is definitely something that we see consistently. People may or may not love their utility, but they definitely trust them, which is interesting. And so there's an opportunity for the utility programs to leverage that trust um, as they think about how to help customers moving forward and how to help you know contractors moving forward kind of reference this earlier but you know making sure that we're thinking about who are the customers who are going to be hardest hit as a result of this and how can the programs and services that are being offered by utilities be ready to help them as they come out on the other side of this you know how can we understand what neighborhoods what small business types have been really deeply affected and what can we think about that we can do or offer them that can be or provide some immediate help um, on the other side. If we recognize that, you know, we recognize restaurants are struggling, but again, what about, um, you know, hair salons and other small businesses that aren't getting all the attention? What's the opportunity to support them immediately coming out on the other side of this? And who are they? Where are they? you know, getting, being ready to serve, sort of the moment we're able to open up and serve, I think is, is something that we don't often get time in this industry to really think and target. And, you know, there's a lot of talk of targeting, but really thinking about who needs to be served, how, when, and what means is the best way to serve them. Because there's this, this hurried need to get programs out to reach goals, um, there's not often a lot of time to pause and really do sort of deliberate, um, some deliberate planning and understanding of who the customers are, where's the opportunity, what's the need, how can we uh, uh, tweak programs slightly or tweak the delivery or the messaging to really um, help reach customers who are in specific places at a given point in time. So I think the opportunity is almost like opportunity to think um, and <laughs> slow down enough to really um, identify who the customers are and how we can help them in a way that might be slightly more um, customized, I guess, to, to where mm -hmm. they are and what's going on. So I think that's an interesting opportunity. Um, you know, the other, other sort of silver lining, you know, many of our the utility customers have put customer conversations on hold, which is understandable. But I think, Anne, you posted this over the weekend that customers, people are homebound right now and they're looking for people to talk to. So there's an interesting opportunity to, to get out there and talk to customers, obviously not in person, but over the phone or through web um, focus groups like you're going to be hosting. And um, there's, a, there's a really interesting opportunity right now to, to hear from customers who are, they, they have time on their hands. They're, they're interested in talking. So I think that's something uh, some of the utilities should be thinking about as well. What about you? Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I, well, I agree with you um, on all of your points and um, I can't resist. I have to plug a couple pieces that we shared earlier if, if folks haven't looked at them. Yeah, definitely. One of the opportunities um, that we talked about was, and we addressed in an earlier webinar, was thinking about the health benefits of serving folks with um, energy efficiency initiatives mm -hmm. and, um, and all their forms of clean energy, frankly, particularly for those who are at, at greatest risk and most disadvantaged. So those are low-income communities living near uh, power plants mm -hmm. who are also um, in many ways um, living with a number of pre-existing conditions as a result of um, any number of environmental conditions that make them 
you know, essentially at a higher risk. So I think there's this way that um, that we could step back and think about reparative work, and, you know, specifically in those in those communities that need the greatest economic relief and also have suffered the most from our energy choices. And often um, they're less able and less equipped to pay for and seek out the services that we can provide. So I do think that an emphasis on serving lower income communities and that that group is only going to grow, frankly, as we, as we look at a recession, that the definition for that will likely change. And, um, and also looking at ways that we can deliver energy programs that also tend to help more directly. I think that will be really important, air quality and other, other things. Um, you know, another um, memo that we issued earlier was uh, simply, you know, answering the question, how might we determine if it's a good idea to talk to people right now? Mm -hmm. what, um, what should we be considering? And I, I think that that still holds true. Every, um, every part of the country is going through this on its own timeline. You know, each state is experiencing this differently. And so I think it's important to really assess our local context and figure out when we can have those conversations. But I agree, um, having those conversations is so important right now. Um, I also think, uh, and we're hoping to pull together a memo on this in the near future, um, this gives us, to your point, an opportunity to reassess risk in our portfolios and in our programs uh, in terms of uh, the resiliency of our industry and our, the resiliency of our initiatives to withstand what will likely be, you know, another few years of uncertain social environments, either right. because the virus is going to return, you know, and um, or maybe won't abate as fast as we're hoping it will, and we may need to maintain social distancing for a longer period of time. Or, um, or the economic conditions that we're operating in are going to be radically different than they were in the past eight years. Oh, <laughs> there goes my computer chiming. Um, <laughs> but um, we won't worry about editing that out. People can relate. But, the, um, but I do think that um, there is this way that we can think about our resiliency in the industry as being really directly tied to how well we're able to serve people um, in this moment under these changing conditions and to perhaps abandon some of the status quo ways of delivering service and think about new models that maybe we weren't really ready to take on um, and need a nudge in that direction. And so how might we take advantage of some of those new and emerging opportunities that might be better suited to this new world that we're going to be living in? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, there's been a lot of sort of stuck on what comes after lighting in our space, but but without thinking about and what what comes after or what's the the next best evolution of a lot of the other program models that have been pretty standard on the efficiency side at least. And, you know, I I, I do I think the utilities are in an interesting place to really start to expand and, and think about what other ways and you know what other services and solutions um, can be delivered to customers in a in a changed world. Yeah. And I think you know we all need to be actively working on that project mm -hmm. because you know our not only is the utilities of program areas and, and ability to recover revenue through these programs you know, directly tied to our ability to do that. But um, 
but obviously the livelihood of a loom is, is directly tied to our ability to do that. Right. <laughs> um, Absolutely. This is very, to be very selfish uh, about it. Um, so um, when we think about um, additional opportunities, is there anything else you want to say or anything else that you want to leave folks with, um, you know, before we close out this webinar? Well, I, I don't want to lose the small business customer. And, and I know um, I'm really excited that Tucson is going to be in the spotlight and that you're going to be talking to small business owners, uh, I think Wednesday, correct? And kind of hear more about how they're doing. Um, I, I think this idea of voice is really important that it's, it's, we've been doing a lot of this work. We've been fortunate in the last couple of years that we've had some clients who really invested in taking the time to hear and understand their customers in a way that I, I think is a little bit unique in the space and to, to really give space for that voice. And this is another moment where we're doing that I think is going to come bring some of the best ideas we might see um, for this industry, you know, moving forward. I, I, I have, a, again, that optimistic side of me that, that believes these conversations are going to lead us to some really interesting um, and great new ideas that may be just what we, you know, need as an industry to really um, push ahead. And, and sort of get out of the, the, the sort of standard space we've been in in some ways for quite a long time. So, so this opportunity to, to give voice and hear, hear what people have to say is, is really um, interesting. And I'm, I'm excited by that piece of it. It's unfortunate it came about in this way, but it's a wonderful opportunity as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Sarah, thanks for taking the time to connect uh, through this conversation. It's been great to talk to you uh, in, in this format. Of course, we'll be talking a lot yeah. <laughs> as well. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm also thrilled, as you sort of mentioned, that we get to spotlight Tucson. Tucson's an interesting city. You know, we live, um, we often talk about a, a city that really lived between three nations, you know, the U.S., um, Mexico, and um, indigenous nations that are very prominent in um, in Arizona, and there's so much about um, the city that's unique, but also so much about its uniqueness that makes it also very relatable to mm -hmm. other regions. You know, we have very high um, portions of, or high percentage of our population is low income. Um, I think 30% or more. And it, the, our economy is largely dependent on its small businesses. We have a few major industries, but, um, but small business really is the lifeblood of Tucson and um, getting a chance to talk to Tucson business owners is going to be, I think, really valuable for, um, for folks. Um, so I hope you stay well and healthy during this time. Um, thank you again for connecting. And um, before we drop off, Sarah, I just want to plug the webinar uh, to make sure that yes. folks tune in for that. It's this Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And um, my name is Ann Doherty. You're listening to Current. And Current is produced by Loom's production team, music by Blue Dot Sessions. Um, thanks again, Sarah. Talk soon. Yeah, take care, everyone.